Well, good morning. You made it. Excited that you guys are here. Uh, I want to welcome everybody here as well as a lot of people online today because it is snowing outside, which was important as we launched this portion of the What Can I Bring series, the Christmas part. So that's why the snow is here because we prayed it in. So I hope you appreciate it. Hope you appreciate it. Uh, no, but for real, my name's Danny. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, thank you guys for being here in our series. Uh, we're about halfway through, and uh, I'm going to be here through the end of the month with you, so uh, we have a lot of really neat parts of this series still to talk about. The whole series is about generosity. It's about kind of how that hallmarks us as Christ followers as different than, than uh, really anyone else uh, that, uh, that has a faith system because none of them are built around this idea of generosity. And I'm going to show you today why that is true. Um, Christmas as a holiday, I think all of us know, uh, originated and was based on the person of Jesus. And it's been said that Jesus is the most generous being that has ever existed. That's why we have the tradition of gift giving, because of the gift of him and what he brought to the world. But I'm not sure we've really ever unpacked it, at least not in this community, uh, in a way that... that, uh, that has left uh, so many people uh, impacted around uh, what this Christmas season is really about. Um, this is probably the messiest Christmas service I've ever done, this one right here. This is the, the third one, and I'm hoping it's a little less messy than the other two, but I, I can't promise you that because I saw some of the people who came to service today, and I know that uh, if you're anything like me, sometimes God's got to mess stuff up in order to uh, get your attention. Uh, that's how he works for me. And uh, I know also a lot of folks are watching online or maybe you're streaming this later. I, I have a feeling that's also how it works for you. Now, the reason that generosity is a hallmark trait of uh, Jesus and the reason that, that it is supposed to be an incredibly important part of our Christian faith is because another word for generosity is grace. The generosity of Jesus is also known as grace. And grace is closely related to God's love, God's benevolence, and God's mercy, but it's just a little bit different. I like this definition. Grace is God's favor toward the unworthy or God's benevolence on the undeserving. Um, this, is, this, this concept is supposed to be something that we as Christians learn really early on. It's foundational to our faith, that we understand that we are Christians, which means we are people of Jesus, and Jesus is a person of grace, and the world should be able to tell that we're Christians because we're really, really, really good at this. And yet, if we're honest, most of us actually aren't. The person of Jesus, on the other hand, is. I like this quote about him. One hallmark of any interaction with Jesus is grace. Christians receive grace and then more grace. Grace served on top of grace. Grace and then in the place of that, more grace. The point is that all of us in this room were attracted to Jesus. Or if you're here and you're curious about spiritual faith, the thing that will, I'm going to just go off. Okay, it's going to get messy. So the thing that is, the thing, if you're spiritually curious, right, like you're just here today or you're watching online because you don't know why, you came with a pretty girl or you heard we're trendy or some other excuse that you think is the reason you're here, I'm just here to tell you, the thing that will push you over the line and into a relationship with the God who made you is your understanding of grace. If you don't understand grace, you cannot have a relationship with Jesus, at least like you're supposed to. You can have a relationship with his church where you show up and attend and you give and you help and you serve, but you cannot have, I cannot have a relationship with Jesus Christ like I'm supposed to unless I have a healthy hookup with grace. And that's often the thing that takes people you'd never, never expect to follow Jesus 
suddenly do a complete 180 and dive into a relationship with him. And when you sit them down, which I have the privilege of doing, and you ask them, how did you come to this conclusion? You've been attending here for all this time. You've been helping here for all this time. Every time. They may not know it as I say it, the word grace, but they'll know it in a way that I just felt like I was accepted here unlike any other place. I just felt like he was, like he was just pulling me in unlike I've ever believed that he saw past all my failures and so on and so on and so on. Grace is a hallmark of who Jesus is. And it's his strategy. And it's supposed to be ours. 1 John 1, 16 says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Like it's a heaping of grace with more grace. This is who we are following and this is who we are supposed to become. But as I said, it seems to be harder for most of us to unpack. So here's what I want to do. I want to give us an entirely different way to hook up with grace. So instead of grace, we're going to use the word gift. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to use everyday common, like seven-year-old level gift giving. Like, like these are things that a seven-year-old will know and you know, gift giving. And we're going to teach the way that God bestows his grace through the way that most of us think instead about gifts. And you might think, I don't know about your theology. And I might think, I got a verse for you, Ephesians 4, 7. But grace was not given to each one of us according to the measure, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The words work in this context. So that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. We're going to tie this analogy together and we're going to push through the culture that you grew up in, through your church hurt, through even maybe some theology around what you feel around this topic. And we're going to reset the context so that my heart and your heart can align around the heart of Jesus, which is built upon and saturated with grace. All right. Here's the first thing that we're going to look at. Again, seven-year-old common everyday gift-giving practices. Anyone who has ever received a gift understands this. I'll put it on the screen. A gift is much different from a loan, which requires repayment or return by the recipient. The fact that grace is a gift means that nothing is owed in return. This is like, like Grace 101. You open the door to grace, the first thing you realize is that there's no, you don't owe anything. That the gift is fully given over and it's not loaned out. Now, I think most of us are like, well, of course, I understand that about grace. And I kind of understand that about gift giving because, yes, of course, you give a gift, you don't expect anything back. But that's not true, is it? We give gifts all the time and expect something back. At the very minimum, we expect back a thank you. At the minimum. And if you really want to dive deep into your human psyche, you generally expect something more. There's been two times when I have blown my wife's mind with gift giving. And that's, a, that, that's saying a lot because my wife's like, first love languages is gifts. Like if I drove home and saw a, a beautiful sunset and then a piece of like road gravel and I brought it home and I was like, I was looking at a sunset that was so beautiful it made me think of you so I just wanted to mark that spot forever in my heart and so I bought you this piece of gravel dirt. My wife would collapse on the floor she would, she would cherish it, she would wash it, she would put it on a shelf, and it would be like, that was that time that you remembered me at that sunset. Do you remember that time? Like, this is how she operates. It's true. I figured this out very early on in our dating game. And if you don't think you're dating, that it's a game, then you're, then you're not a player. So, you know, you gotta... <laughs> That's a different talk for a different time, but... 
I was dating my wife and her 19-month-old son. Okay, if you know our story, you know that uh, when I was dating Aaron, she came with a 19-month-old little boy, my son, our son now, Gabriel. And uh, Aaron had a Mother's Day, but it was the first Mother's Day that she had with someone in her life, kind of representing that other side of the parenting structure. So I wanted to make a big deal out of it. And I really, really, really wanted her to be blown away. So I bought a dozen roses. I wrapped each individual rose with a love note that then I handed her individually while I looked into her eyes. I believe now that I think about it, as she read the notes and looked into mine, tears sobbing. I allowed my eyes to glisten just a little bit, just enough to be like masculinely soft-hearted, but not over-the-top sloppy. And I just... And I just handed one by one by one. And by the time she was done, we were married, right? It was amazing. <laughs> but it wasn't a gift that I didn't expect anything in return. It really wasn't. It took almost 22, 23 years later for me to do something of a similar caliber with absolutely no expectations whatsoever because we do often expect gifts to be given to us like loans. And I think when we talk about the grace of Jesus, many times we're like, thank you, Jesus, for loving me as I am. But the undercurrent in our psychology, in our psyche, is, uh, I wonder what he wants. I wonder what he's, what, wonder what he's after. I wonder what he's looking for. This, this is not at all how the grace of God works. Second, there is no cost to the person who receives a gift. There is no cost to the person who receives a gift. Again, a, a seven-year-old, if you handed, them a, a, handed her or him a gift, you, they're not generally going to be thinking like, well, what do I owe you for this? If they know it's a gift. A gift is free to the recipient, although it is not free to the giver who bears the expense. The gift of salvation, which happens through grace, costs us sinners nothing. But the price of such an extravagant gift came at a great cost for our Lord Jesus who died in our place. Martin Luther expands on this. He says, grace therefore costs us nothing, but cost another much to get it for us. Grace was purchased with an incalculable, infinite treasure, the Son of God himself, Jesus. We often forget that we owe nothing for the gift of relationship with God. And that gift happens again through grace. Next, once a gift has been given, ownership of the gift has transferred and it is now ours to keep. There is permanence in gift giving that does not exist with, as we said earlier, loans or advances. When a gift changes hands, the giver immediately relinquishes his or her rights to take the gift back in the future. We had our uh, staff Christmas party just this week. Um, I only shared this last service, so, and then I avoided my wife to make sure I could share it at least one more time. We had a staff Christmas party. My wife's built for gifts. If you know how uh, white elephants uh, go, we'd have a white elephant thing that we did. All the gifts under like 20 bucks or something like that. Everything goes around, and once it gets to the certain person by a certain time, it gets locked up. We all get how it works. My wife ends up getting a like, like $14 plastic karaoke microphone with jewels and like a little digital light. And like, it's clearly a child's toy. And she is so excited. She's like, can you believe this? Like while the next, she's like, this is awesome. And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> well, in a white elephant, you get to have things stolen. And so our youth pastor, Joe, has a three-year-old daughter, Rory. And he stole that gift. And 
on the surface, everybody was like, yeah, that makes sense. But inside, I knew my wife was seething. <laughs> She's like, he took my gift. He took the gift. And I'm like, yeah, I'll buy you another one on Amazon. And she's like, she's like, that's not the point. I got the gift. And I'm like, it's white elephant. People can steal stuff. We went home. I think Joe and Rachel knew that Erin wasn't excited that she had to give up her karaoke thing. So they, uh, they sent us this video right here. My wife says as she's watching the video, do you know how cute I'd look with that right now? <laughs> I was like, like you were like, oh. She was like, do you know how cute I would look right now? And she goes, and do you know what else I know? This is a true fact. I'm hoping we don't lose respect. But she said, I already know Rory has another one. So that's why I need, I need prayer in my marriage. That's why I need, now you guys know what I have to deal with. But that's important to realize, that's important to realize that once a gift has been given, you cannot get it back, Aaron. And so it's, it's Rory's. It belongs to Rory. And, and I'm sure we'll get you another one. I love you. We're still good? Okay. Good. Good. All right. Fourth, every guy in the room right now is so uncomfortable. All the husbands are like, I cannot believe he just did that right now. <laughs> Fourth, in the giving of a gift, the giver voluntarily forfeits something he owns, willingly losing what belongs to him so the recipient will profit from it. This is one of the more profound aspects of understanding how grace works in the context of a gift because when a giver gives a gift through this understanding, the giver becomes poorer so the recipient can become richer. Second Corinthians six, I'm sorry, eight, Second Corinthians eight, nine says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I don't know of a better example of this kind of gift giving than this actual building that you're sitting in right now. Uh, a lot of you know, but some of you don't, so it's important to keep narratives like this alive that we had a baptism service. When we were a set-up, tear-down church out of Clark College, we rented this because Clark doesn't allow pools in their, in their cafeteria auditorium. And so we rented this, didn't know anybody here. Uh, I think it was for $200 or something like that. And uh, we didn't know it, but elders from First Baptist were in the service with us. And at the end, one of the elders took me to the back room. That's our cafe now. And he goes, that was a great service. I thought he wanted the check for the rental. And I was like, hey, I don't write checks here. I have to go get somebody. And he's like, no, no, no. I want to know, what do you think of our building? And I said, well, I think it's beautiful. And he goes, do you want it? And I said, what? And he said, we're starting a process. We're going we're gonna to give away the, the building. This building has been here since 1955. The First Baptist Church has been here since 1886 in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. When we did the, the merger papers, they were actually part of the Oregon Territory legally. That's how old some of the people were that attend this church. It's unbelievable. It's just, <laughs> a bunch of them are here, so I hope that's all right. I told you it was going to be a mess, people. So it was, it was amazing, though. So we had to, here's what we did. We took it, and we, we, we did, went through their process, and they were, they were amazing. I did a couple meetings with their congregation. I asked them, hey, 
why are you giving this away? If you could imagine this as anything in a few years, what would you, be, what would you imagine? Would you imagine Christmas or sound systems or lights or stage or remodel? That never came up. The only thing that consistently came up from almost all the members in that congregation were, we want to see this place filled with children. That's our dream. We want to give it away to the next generation. Not just, not just us, not just our generation, but the next generation. They became poorer so that we could become richer. The first combined uh, sort of weekend, we maintained their service here for a whole year. So the first Easter we did that, I was down here preaching and uh, they didn't know it, but we had printed off coloring sheets made uh, from their building that said, thank you for our new church home. And we had all the kids in our children's ministry, probably, I don't know, it was probably 50 or 60 of them at the time, uh, color, thank you for our church home. And then we bust them to the uh, back of the building. And then at the end of service, we talked about that dream. We talked about what that might be like. We talked about what happens when we give away and we're generous with what God has given us. So we talked about what it looks like to become poor so others can become richer. And then I said, release the children. And the doors opened and all these little kids wobbled in with these coloring sheets and crawled up into the laps and the chairs and over the pews at the time and handed every single person here a thank you for our church home coloring page. This is how Jesus bestows grace upon you and I. He becomes poorer so that you can become richer. He sacrificed his life and his time on earth and all those things so that you and I could be in relationship with him. Finally, the Bible teaches that grace is completely unmerited. The gift and act of giving have nothing to, at all to do with our merit or innate quality. I'm reading this for a very specific reason. I'm just going to, because I don't fully read the notes, I glance, but I'm going to read this part of my notes because the gift and the act of gift giving, I'm sorry, the gift and the act of giving have nothing at all to do with our merit or innate quality. In fact, the Bible quite clearly says the opposite, that we don't deserve the gift of grace at all. Romans 5, 8, and 10 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son meaning there's nothing you and I can do to earn or deserve the grace of God. The reason I read that is because this is the hardest part of this message for me and something that I only just recently actually came to peace with, this idea that I can't earn uh, my relationship with God. Now, coming this summer, we've already done a lot of series planning, and coming this summer, we're going to do a whole bunch of work around this tiny, tiny lesson that I'm going to, I hope, gift to you today. And that's this idea of that we all have a construct. We all have a way in which we formed a worldview, the, a way in which we, we process emotions, a way in which we, we take in what we're seeing and decide what matters most, a way in which we prioritize how we see and what we think is valuable versus what we see as, as not valuable. My young life started off in a hospital. I think most of you know, I'm a Dornbecker kid. Uh, I was in and out of the hospital all the way through. I was 15, I had cancer as a child. And uh, my construct, I only recently found this. So this is, this is me being, um, I told my team, I said, I feel like I'm just, a, just a, about a half step too vulnerable, uh, more than I'm comfortable, but, um, but this is what I've been asked to do. So I'm gonna give it to you because I think it's really important for everyone in here to understand this specific idea around grace as a gift. 
I somehow built a construct as I was growing up that I needed to be special. Uh, I remember specifically, um, it, it gets fo foggy as time goes on, but when you're a cancer kid going through your treatment, uh, oftentimes the only other people you can play with are other cancer kids because the other, you know, the other kids have different germs, different things, and so forth. So they have playrooms. You can go and wheel in your tanks and bring in your stuff, and you can play, and you, you bond over time with those kids. And I remember... Um, there was a season there where I think there was about eight kids or so that went through this process with me. And over time, it went from eight to seven to six to four to three to just me and another little girl. And I remember when they were like, you can go home. Uh, I remember leaving with rooms empty and rooms filled with different kids, kids I didn't know because I knew that, that those kids had, had passed. And so somewhere in my world, somewhere in my, my almost my um, relational DNA, I became convinced that, that, that I was special. This little girl and I were special because we lived. And I needed to maintain that specialness in order to stay alive. Because if you weren't special, you would die. And so I began to do everything I could to add specialness to my life, to dive into different things. I did not want to do ministry because that's not very special. I wanted to do something else that, 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 that I felt would bring more value, but God continued to push me back into this mundane thing called ministry. And I was like, fine, but if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it the best I can. And I dove in and I worked hard, even at the sacrifice of my family and my marriage early on. And I lifted up things that, to God to prove that I was worthy of the, the life he had allowed me to have. It's a little like at the end of the Saving Private Ryan movie where he goes to the grave as an old man with his whole family and he's sobbing and he looks at the graves of all the soldiers that sacrificed for him and he goes, I hope it was worth it, the life that I lived. I hope it was worth your sacrifice that I, that I got to live. I have a, a, a huge compass tattooed on my arm way before therapy, by the way. It's, by the way, go to therapy before you get tattooed up. Much, much better idea than... Then, then getting all inked up and then, and then having to walk that stuff back out. I have a huge compass on my arm. It represents my calling into ministry. I always want to follow God. I want him to be my true north and so on. And I have a script underneath in French. And it says, una vie extraordinaire. One extraordinary life. Because that's all I care about living. And so I'm working through this stuff with my therapist. Because he's starting to really ask around this idea, man, you see him a little performance-based. You seem like, like you are, I mean, there's driven, and then there's whatever this is. And I'm like, well, I'm just, you know, Jesus matters. His church matters. And he's like, uh-huh. And he's like, Danny, I, I see like dozens of pastors. It seems like Jesus matters different to you. <laughs> and so through a lot of work, about six months, I suddenly came to this really sad realization just a few years ago now, I think, that I lived for a long time like if I wasn't special, my perception of special, that, that I wouldn't live at all. And so everything in my construct pushed me into that. And do you know what finally broke it all apart? Is when my therapist asked me, Danny, we talked about the, the six kids or so that passed at Dornbecker. And I go, yeah. He goes, Danny, do you think those six children who passed we're as special to their parents as you are to yours. And of course the answer is yes. Do you think they're as special to God as you are to him? 
Of course the answer is yes. Do you think their two years of living or three years or four years or five years of life were as special as the, let's say, if I die tomorrow, the, the 45 years you've lived now? And of course the answer is yes. And so suddenly it doesn't matter how special you are. It simply matters that God loves you in spite of your two years or your 45 years or your 85 years. He loves you in spite of any performance or, or any accomplishments or any work at all. He loves you in spite of your failures and your fears and all the things you haven't done. He loves you in spite of your construct and whatever it's done to you. Mine has driven me this way. Yours is driving you that way. By the way, you all have constructs. If you don't think you have a construct, that is your construct. I don't buy that therapy stuff. Perfect. Start there. The truth of it is that to receive God's unmerited grace, you have, to, you have to be ordinary. And you have to be average. And you have to be honest about the fact that, that you're wrestling through this human life like everybody else. And that God's grace is poured out on all of us equally because that's just who he is. He doesn't give us grace like alone, and then say, now I want you to pay it back. He doesn't give us grace and say, now I want you to perform. He doesn't give us grace and say, he doesn't give us grace because, guys, grace is a gift and gift is a grace. That's why they're interchangeable. That's why it has to change how we operate with our God because some of us, the reason your marriage stinks, <laughs> they've asked me not to say sucks anymore, so I'm not going to say it. So the reason your marriage stinks, right? The reason, the reason that you struggle at work, the reason you're not a very good neighbor, the reason that you go to restaurants and you're rude to servers, I think you might know this, but because I work with, I talk to a lot of you, I think you might know that Sunday afternoons are the worst time for servers because that's when all the church people go who've been convicted by whatever they did at church and need somebody to be mean to so they can feel better about themselves. And it's usually the server. It's the worst time of the week. They don't want to work that shift. Ask them. Because the church people, Oh, we got hands going up now. We got people ready to testify, right? Oh, right? I mean, I mean, this is what it is. And so we're supposed to be grace people. Here's the idea. It isn't that a server has to be perfect. It's that you are so full of grace that even when they're not perfect, you're like, I got you. It's been a long day. I bet you're tired on your feet. I bet you're worried about Christmas presents. I bet other people were rude to you before I got here. And you have grace. Grace isn't being kind to a kind person. Grace isn't loving a loving person. Grace is giving unmerited favor to someone who is struggling. Grace is being known as someone who is generously patient and authentic. And that other people matter inside their lives as much as they do. Grace, I like this, is the ongoing benevolent act of God working in us without which we can do nothing. Grace is greater than our sin, more abundant than we expect, and too wonderful for words. And the only reason that you are sitting here right now, it has nothing to do with how well you've lived your life, and it has everything to do with God's unmerited favor upon you. And if you don't believe me, I'd like to show you a picture. This is my friend Shannon. Shannon's a very important part of our church community. She encourages people. That's her job. 
She likes to make people laugh. And so the first time I introduced her to Pastor Tom, uh, she leaned forward, shook his hand, and then said, Tom, huh? <laughs> you spell that with an O? Tom didn't know what to do, so I just sort of said, yeah, yeah, he does. And then finally Tom got it, and we all laughed together. Shannon's a special person, an encouraging person, a valuable person. And Shannon passed away in her sleep last week at 51 years old. Is Shannon less valuable than you? She's not here. You still are. What did she do wrong? And yet you get to go home to your family today. And if you are raised in the normal church structure, you get to follow through with whatever guidelines you think are going to earn you another day or another year. And I'm speaking a little bit, I'm kind of generalizing, but this is general kind of culture around church. We obey and we follow. And if we do well, we get blessed. But Shannon's with Jesus now. So ultimately, maybe she is more valuable than all of us. See, the truth of it is we are all living every single day because God has allowed us to live another day. And what we do with that day matters. And I believe what we're supposed to do with that day is take the grace that allowed us to wake up that morning and pour it in to another person's life. Paul knows this well. In Acts 20, 24, this is what he says about himself. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received. Listen to what the ministry is that he received from the Lord Jesus. Here's his ministry. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You want to be a generous Christian? Then recognize this. Grace is our job. It is the job. It is what we are called to do and be. It's, it's not just to teach or, or to lead or to dive here or to do that or to accomplish this or even to further the church. That, none of those things supersede that our job ultimately is grace. That is the ministry that Jesus gave Paul and that is the ministry that he gives us now. We are to be people who live with the grace that God has bestowed upon us. The ministry that I received, the ministry that you received, is to be a person of incredible grace. And I'm going to let you close. I'm going to close this with um, a story that I think will leave you with an image seared into your brain that I hope challenges you about how you are to live out the grace that God has given you in this way. Um, when I was about 11 or so, uh, my dad did a, a small stint as a youth pastor, so we built like a small kind of theology library. It was the first time we really had books like that in our house. And one of those books was this huge, well over 500 page book called The Book of Illustrations. And in that book, you could look up pride and it would just read all these anecdotes and little short stories about pride. Or you could look up truth or you could look up love. And, and in that book, you could look up grace. And it was either in that version or one I got right after it that I read this story about grace that I want to read over you now. Longing to leave her poor Brazilian neighborhood, Christina wanted to see the world. Discontent with a home having only a pallet on the floor, a wash basin, and a wood-burning stove, she dreamed of a better life in the city. One morning, she slipped away, breaking her mother's heart. 
Knowing what life on the streets would be like for her young, attractive daughter, her mother, Maria, hurriedly packed to go find her. On her way to find Christina, her mother stopped at a bus stop. She entered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in the photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all she could on pictures of herself. With her purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. And tell me if this doesn't sound like moments in your life. She knew her daughter was too stubborn to give up because when pride meets hunger, a human will do things that were before unthinkable. Knowing this, Maria began her search. Bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with the reputation for street walkers or prostitutes. She went to them all. And at each place, she left her picture taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner phone booth. And on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. It wasn't too long before both the money and the pictures ran out, and Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her same village. It was a few weeks later that young Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she had longed to trade these countless beds for her secure pallet. Yet the little village was, in too many ways, too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother, Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. Written on the back was this compelling invitation. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And so she did. This is what we're supposed to do in response to the generous grace of God in our lives. We are supposed to see him in all of the darkest parts of our story, the hardest parts of our story, the little picture of Jesus who died on a cross for you and for me and who has unmerited favor and love for you. And this is also what we're supposed to do for others. We're supposed to be those little pictures for them. We're supposed to, 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 to travel where they go and be a part of their story. This is why it's so hard for me when Christians are like, no, no, I don't associate with anybody outside of these like same people. And I'm like, man, your testimony's just got to be easy. But when you're called to be a picture to someone, when you're called to sit in a difficult spot, but do you know why we don't sit in difficult spots? Do you know, it's not because we don't know how, it's not because we don't have love. That's not why we aren't grace to people that are hard to be grace to. It's because we don't see Jesus's grace that way for us. We can't sit and hold someone else's space and their mess because we still somehow are convinced that Jesus won't hold ours. Well, I'm just here to tell you, it's some of the most broken backwards kind of church that I think God is pruning away on a regular basis right now. Paul comes straight forward. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, right at the top. 
for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Do you want me to translate that? I'll put this quote up. When pride meets hunger, a human will do things that were before unthinkable. Paul says, I screwed it up. Paul says, I, 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 I attacked the church. I attacked his people. I went after the very thing that I now love because when pride meets hunger, a human will do things that were unthinkable. And yet the verse continues. But by the grace of God, listen carefully, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. He doesn't say, that stuff doesn't matter. He doesn't say, well, that's not still the construct that I operate from. He doesn't say that I still don't wrestle with specialness and afraid that if I'm not special, I might die. He says, I am what I am. And yet God's grace pours through that and accomplishes far more than I ever could toward me and is not in vain. When you can sit inside yourself and recognize you are what you are and God loves you anyways. You are what you are and yeah, you did some stuff you can't believe you did. You are what you are and God is ready to pour forth his grace. It's not a loan. It doesn't come with a debt. You don't have to dance for it. You don't have to jump for it. You don't even have to be nice for it. You are what you are. When you can understand that and that God's grace is still stirring within you and transforming and working all the same, guess what? You can sit with anybody, anybody. And when they try to shock you with, they're like, you don't know me, you don't know that I did. You go, oh man, you are what you are. And I am what I am. You don't know me, I did. You don't know me, I've been. You don't know me, didn't you hear? You don't know me, I don't, I don't. But I know me, I know my story. I know my construct. I know I've accepted what I am and that through it, the God's grace has poured forth in my life. And because of that, I am not the person I used to be and that's all I want to be to you, bro, to you, sister, to you, you know, worker, to you, husband, to you, children, to you, neighbor, to you, to you, to you. All we're called to be are little pictures of God's grace in really unthinkable areas. It's hard sometimes to be grace here because this place is full of people trying, but it's really, 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 really hard to be grace out in the world where people are doing everything they can to try to push you away and push me away and ultimately push Jesus away. And so if we wanna reach ordinary people with extraordinary problems, we have to become ordinary people with extraordinary problems that God's grace pours forth and transforms because that's what they're all looking for. That's why grace is a gift. That's why it's the perfect illustration. And that's why I hope forever and ever and ever you think of it differently than when you walked in. I just want you to remember, because I'm going I'm to say this one more time, and then I'm going to stand us in prayer, so I only got 20, 25 more minutes. It'll be fine. Um, for, for somebody in the room or for someone online, I just want to say one more time, 
whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Just come home. Come home. We stand. We'll close in prayer. Lord, we sit in a space right now that's incredibly sacred. I think some people are meeting you for the first time. I think some people might be seeing parts of themselves they've never um, really looked at. I think some people are breaking. Some people are healing. But all of it is your doing. And so God, as we get into the busyness of Christmas this year, may we stop. Thank you that, that we woke up this morning And thank you, God, for the years you gave Shannon and us to be with her. Thank you, God, that I'm still here. I might be gone tomorrow, but I'm still here. And thank you, God, for those children that you let me. Thank you for those who aren't with us. And thank you, God, for being the one who pours forth his love over it all. May this season be different. May this church be yours. May there be wholeness and healing and honesty and authenticity and repentance and conviction. And may we owe it all to Jesus and the generous gift of his grace. We lift this time up to you now, the rest of this day and week, the rest of the series, and the coming new year, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. Uh, like I said, I'll be here uh, through the end of the year. So uh, yeah, I hope you join me. I hope you have a Merry Christmas, and uh, we'll talk soon. <laughs>